0: The Siege of New Hampshire series by MacRoland book 2 siege fall chapter 9 questionable calculus the day dawned bright as if nothing had ever happened and yet it had everyone in the simmons house went about their chores without speaking no one spoke during their breakfast of wheat grits Margaret had the bedsheets washed, as best she could, in the big galvanized tub. They hung on the line to dry, which would take a long time given the coolness of the air. Dustin was gone somewhere. Martin didn't know where. Judy was on watch, pacing around the house, peering into the woods. Everyone was on watch to a degree. All ears listened for any sounds that didn't belong. Martin brought a bucket of water from the well. As he rounded the chicken coop, Susan was there, checking for eggs. That was nice, what you said for Ruby yesterday. I really didn't know what to say. It felt awkward. It didn't sound like it. It flowed, and, well, it it was nice, she said. Thanks. Martin hoped he would never have an opportunity to do better next time. Margaret was packing away the grain mill as Martin came through the back door. "'When you were telling me about the meeting on Monday, "'you said that the men talked about two trucks, "'one on Wednesday and one today,' she said. "'That's what they said,' Martin shook his head. "'But after how things went on Wednesday, "'do you really think there'll be a truck today?' "'I don't know. Maybe. "'What if the guy was calmed down, or, or had a change of heart, "'or his bosses told him to send the truck anyhow? "'There's lots of reasons why there might still be a truck today.' "'Martin wanted to argue.' But he knew she was right. His pessimism was not the best approach to leadership or being a provider. Even if it's just more of their cheap starchy meal packets, it'll be something, she continued. With Ruby, uh, she had to stop and breathe deeply. With only five of us now, what we have will last a little longer, but still not long enough. Anything has to help. Okay, okay, Martin held up his hands in surrender. "'You don't always have to be right, you know,' he smiled at her. "'But I am, aren't I?' she winked. "'Don't let it go to your head. "'I want to fill one more bucket "'and then go up and see if there's anything of a truck.' "'Martin rummaged in the shed, making considerable noise. "'What are you doing, Mr. Simmons?' "'Judy peeked through the door. "'You're making an awful lot of noise.' "'Looking for that wagon,' he said, without looking up. Might need it for hauling some possible FEMA boxes. Margaret said she had it back from the walkers, but I can't find it. Was it red with yellow wheels? Oh, you've seen it. Great. Where is it? Dustin has it. He tied it to the back of his bike and rode off. Rode off where? He didn't say. Ah, whatever. Martin grabbed Margaret's mountain bike. I'll just have to balance the stupid boxes as best I can, I guess. As Martin approached the general store, there were knots of people standing in the parking lot talking. There was no black Escalade, or white Suburban, or, more importantly, no truck. So, uh, no truck? Martin asked a nearby man in coveralls. Nope. That guy over there said he heard that it got hijacked by a mob in Nutfield, pulled the driver out of his cab, and ransacked the trailer. Nah, countered another man. I heard they never even sent a truck, cause FEMA's already run out of food. That big warehouse of theirs in Portsmouth got hit by looters, or something. Or, weighed in yet another man, that Quinn guy still has his panties in a bunch. Landers hasn't said what he's heard. He's been too busy this morning to get a word in edgewise, said the first man. Busy doing what? Martin asked. The man pointed across the highway to Town Hall. Landers and Candace stood on the front steps with clipboards. A crowd of people ringed around the stairs. I heard the school ran out of propane last night. The selectmen are trying to find homes for all of the people who were staying in the shelter. Hey, yep, and Candace, she's been helping right along. She likes that helping stuff, don't she? Looks like about half of them are placed. No idea where, but Haddock's minivan has been carting them all off to somewhere. So you guys are just standing around waiting for a truck that you don't think is coming? Martin asked. Yeah, man's got a point there, Rich. Why are we hanging around here? Why, for the excellent companionship, my boy. That, man, there ain't nothing on TV. They all laughed. Martin shook his head, mounted the bike, and rode back home, empty-handed. No truck, Martin told Margaret as he hung up his coat over the back of a dining room chair. Lots of theories as to why, but it still adds up to no truck. No rats. I was kind of counting on another box or two. Really? You said you didn't like it. Uh, It was cheap filler food. I know, but it has its uses. Judy is about due to come off of watch soon. It'll be time for lunch, too. Okay. I see I'm up next anyhow. Might as well start now, seeing as how I'm already dressed for it. Martin walked around the house slowly. He had the carbine sling cinched tight so it wouldn't rattle. He peered into the woods, carefully scanning through the bare branches and leaf litter, looking for any sign of movement. There was nothing. He couldn't see that far into the woods as it was, but it was more a matter of listening. He paused, standing near the back wall of the house, letting the big wall gather faint sounds for him. In the distance, perhaps beyond the pines, he thought he could hear the sound of a squirrel thrashing around in the leaves. For a while, he wondered if it was a college kid foraging where there weren't supposed to be, on his land. But he decided that the rapid rhythm of the leaf rustles better fit the tempo of a bounding squirrel. That might be tomorrow's supper, he thought. At the front corner of the house, he noticed that the spot beside the juniper bush was a handy vantage point. From that spot, he could see up the road in both directions until trees obscured the view. He could see the road behind the shed and the first two woodpiles. Toward the Oldham's house, he could see across the swamp all the way to the highway, now that the leaves were off the scrubby trees. From beside the juniper, he could see up Baldwin's meadow road. The other nice thing about the juniper bush was that if he squatted down between it and the garage, he was sheltered from most of the winds and would be nearly invisible from view. He could hunker down under his heavy brown blanket for a long night watch, snug and invisible. His ears perked up. The crunch of tires on gravel told of a vehicle coming. It was probably passing the substation. From the sound, it wasn't something large, a car perhaps. He unslung the carbine and gave the magazine a tap, just to make sure it was seated. Down the hill rolled a light blue minivan. He didn't recognize it. The minivan slowed, blinker on, to turn into his driveway. Do bad guys use their blinkers? He didn't want whoever it was to see him emerge from his new hidey hole, so he stood up and took a few steps sideways before they completed their turn. Landers got out of the passenger side. Haddock stepped out of the driver's side. "'Yeah, hello, Simmons,' called Landers. "'Didn't see you up there. "'How are you, uh, oh, I see you're ready for, uh, anything.' Landers smiled. Seemed like a good idea, Martin said flatly. What can I do for you? Yes, yes, that's good. Uh, Cut to the chase. Uh, No pussyfooting around. Just read the bottom line. Martin wondered when he would run out of catchphrases. It was clear that Landers was ill at ease with whatever his business was. That made Martin keep a grip on the carbine. Haddock broke the cliché logjam. You might have heard that the school ran out of propane last night. Martin nodded. So we've been trying to get all of the people who were in the shelter placed in uh, homes. And, Landers had recovered, you were saying how you had an empty, uh, well, you didn't actually say you had an empty room, but from what you were saying about the old lady and your church that she died, and, well, it seemed kind of like you were saying that you had an empty room. Landers held a wide, guilty smile, like a boy delivering his best dog-ate-my-homework line. Martin didn't like the nervousness. No one is nervous delivering good news. He decided to hold his peace and let the two selectmen play their hand. Well, we got almost everyone placed, Haddock said proudly. Yep, chimed Landers, almost everyone. Even that family of seven, so now it's down to just the last uh, couple. That's pretty good, huh? Martin remained silent. Haddock motioned for whoever was in the back seat to come out. It was Dunnan and his wife. Martin felt his spirits melt. They would be the last ones placed, he thought. Who would want them? Margaret emerged from the front door. Martin, I heard talking. Who is this? She saw him with his carbine slung forward. Martin, her hoarse whisper, was a half reproach for having a gun ready in front of guests, and half a call of, what's going on here? Hello, Mrs. Simmons. Linders called out. It's a fine day, eh? Martin's nonverbal caution inclined Margaret to stay quiet and let the fish have more line. Ah, yes. Well, well. The reason that we're here is that the uh, shelter had run out of fuel last night. We've been placing the families in various homes that had some room. We only had this one couple left, Adam and Trish Dunnan. Their house is on Peachtree Circle, and it's too cold, and, well, we heard that you had a, an empty room, uh, now, so so we thought, for a moment, Margaret seemed to mirror Martin's guarded demeanor. Her Christian charity got the upper hand, however. We do have an empty room, for now, but her pioneer woman pragmatism was still in the game. But we don't have enough food for the people that we have now let alone two more. Oh, well, uh, that won't be a problem, began Landers enthusiastically. The shelter ran out of fuel, but it didn't run out of food. In fact, the town's food pantry had a fair supply on hand, so... Landers moved around to the back of the minivan and lifted the hatch. He pulled out a big box filled with cans and boxes. We don't want this to be a burden on anyone, so we also brought a supply of food, too he held a broad smile. Martin still didn't like it. His only experience with Dunnan was at Monday's meeting. It was brief, but it was hardly encouraging. Margaret, ever the skeptical bargain hunter, must have wondered why the large box of food was part of the request. She hesitated. Landers gave a little nod to Haddock, who also walked behind the minivan. "Uh, Actually, Haddock said, they come with two boxes of food. He held up a slightly smaller box. They come with? The Dunnans sounded like kitchen appliances with accessories. Martin still didn't like the deal. Food or no food, he had had his fill of strife in his home. Margaret, however, was softening at the prospect of two boxes of food. She stepped beside Martin to whisper, I don't know who they are, but they come with two boxes of food. I know, Martin whispered back. But he's the guy I told you about that started the fight. I don't like it. And I'm really not in the mood for any more people in my house, Margaret said. But, Martin, two boxes of food. That might get us another month of timeline. Another month. Martin tried not to sigh, but he did. The Dunnans were an unknown variable, though suspect. The boxes of food were known elements and important. The calculus said to take The deal he looked at Margaret with resignation. She smiled. Okay, we'll take him in, Martin said at last. Great, great, gushed Landers, obviously relieved. This really helps us out a lot. I can't thank you enough, Mrs. Simmons. He walked up the steps to hand Margaret the box of food. Haddock set his box on the rock wall beside the steps. The Dunnans each took two suitcases from the back of the minivan. If there's anything you need, Simmons, just come up to Town Hall. We're all in this together, right? Landers and Haddock both got in the minivan quickly and drove away, rather like someone who drives away from dropping off a dog at the farm. The Dunnans stood in the driveway like shipwreck survivors on a beach. They smiled awkwardly at their new hosts. Margaret's hostess instincts began to warm up. She waved them up the steps. Well, come on in, you two. "'My name is Margaret. This is Martin. Come on in, and I'll show you to the room. "'We really can't thank you enough,' said Adam. He tore off a strip of flatbread and chewed it rapidly. He reached across the table for the water pitcher. "'It's really nice of you,' said Trish. "'It was bad enough when we had to, like, leave our house. "'But then they have the shelter closed down on us, too. "'We didn't know where we were going to turn.' Martin recalled Adam's announcement to go move in with his mother, and wondered why that part of the saga had been omitted. "'Well, we do want to help out people in need,' Margaret said. "'After all, Jesus did say, whatever you do unto the least of these, you do so unto me.' "'Ah, that's so true,' said Adam, still chewing. "'Yes, yeah, so true.' "'So, uh, Adam, Trish,' Martin tried to sound casual and diplomatic. It might not need saying, but just in case, I'll say it anyway. Everyone in this house is contributing to what needs to be done. This isn't some gulag salt mine, but neither is it a vacation resort. Martin had recalled the shouting match at Friday's meeting with Peter, and Peter's cautions against pampered princes. This is still my house and Margaret's. We have our rules for getting things done, which aren't there just because we like bossing people around. The rules are there for the benefit of everyone in the house. Understand? We don't want to be like a burden on you, said Trish. You just let us know what you want to do around here, and we will. We want to pull our weight, right, Adam? Adam nodded, but couldn't speak for having stuffed in another strip of flatbread. Well, that's good to hear, Martin said. There are chores to keep the house going for everyone's benefit. There's firewood to haul in. Oh, yeah, well, I'll do that said Adam, and water to haul up from the well. I'll do that, chimed Trish. There's also watches to keep, added Martin. Adam and Trish looked at each other, as if expecting the other to give them a hint of what that meant. We have someone awake and outside, at all times, to keep watch. That's why it's called a watch. Oh, they both said in unison. With you two, there are now seven of us. That means that we can have six four-hour watches, and the seventh person is relief in the rotation. With each of us having just one watch per day, it won't be as hard on any of us. The six-hour watches were starting to wear us out. So, uh, what do you do on a watch? Adam asked. Mostly listen for the sound of anyone approaching. Then... Susan's voice crackled through the walkie-talkie on the counter. Hey, there's something going on at the house down the road. Come quick. Martin had his nine millimeter in his pocket already. His carbine was propped in the corner. Dustin jogged to the gun safe for his shotgun and a shell belt. Martin set Margaret's pistol on the kitchen counter. Keep an eye out back and toward the bridge. Blow your whistle if you hear anything you don't like. Understand? Anything. Margaret nodded, cleared the action, and reinserted the magazine. Trish, you stay here. Do whatever Margaret tells you. Judy, be out on the deck listening and watching the woods. Use your whistle if you see anything sketchy. Adam, you come with us. The three men rushed down to the front walk and out to the road. Susan, give me the walkie. Stand here by the mailbox. Keep your eye up the road and up the meadow. Blow your whistle if you see anything suspicious. Susan nodded with a worried look. They jogged 50 yards or more until Martin gave the signal to slow down and approach more carefully. The pause gave Martin time to realize that he had done it again. He had rushed off to help someone before thinking once about what exactly he expected to do. Was there any real trouble? Or was Nick just raising his voice at his kids again? That was a familiar sound. This didn't sound quite like that. If it was trouble, how many bad guys were there? He had no idea. What if there were ten of them? What if they all had ARs or AKs? What good would his small carbine and a shotgun do against that? Martin had picked a fine time to start raising questions. They were nearly in sight of the house. Raised voices could be heard coming from the Oldham's house. Nick's voice, though, was muffled. The other male voices were strangers. Martin had Dustin and Adam behind him, single file, near the brushy edge of the dirt road. Between the trees, Martin could see that there was three men on the porch of Oldham's house. The storm door was closed, probably locked. Nick was visible inside, gesturing rapidly. Two of the men were heavier set, with the thick arms and broad backs of men who regularly enjoyed large meals. They were armed. One had a handgun, the other had a deer rifle of some kind. They weren't pointing them at Nick, but had them in their hands nonetheless. The third man was small and wiry. All three had the same mustache-goatee combo. Their voices were raised and didn't sound friendly. Exact words weren't clear. Dustin tapped Martin on the shoulder and pointed farther up the road. Between the trees, he could see two women bundled up like Russian peasants. They stood near the end of the driveway. Behind them sat two shopping carts filled with various bags, boxes, and rolled-up tarps. They hadn't seen Martin's group approach. Their attention was fixed on the porch. Seeing only five strangers, and only two of them armed, was almost reassuring, at least, when compared to Martin's pessimistic imagination. Two strangers with guns versus himself and Dustin with guns was a workable scenario. Martin knew Nick had a couple of guns, though not what kind. The two women didn't seem to have any weapons visible. While they might have them hidden in the bundles, that seemed less likely if the group's goal was to intimidate random homeowners displaying overwhelming firepower, would make more sense than keeping it concealed. Martin signaled for Adam to stay behind the maple tree near the road. He seemed happy to comply. With hand signals, Martin told Adam to keep watch on the road between them and to shout if he saw anything. Adam nodded and gave a thumbs up. The five strangers might be all there were, or they might not be. Martin might not have a plan, per se, but what plan he did have was to not be surprised. Dustin took up a position behind the telephone pole at the corner of the Oldham's yard. It was scant concealment, but a good position. Martin went a bit further to take up position behind an old oak near the middle of the frontage. He could see the porch across the front lawn and could keep an eye on the two women at the end of the driveway. "'We're only talking about a little food, is all,' said the man with the deer rifle. "'That's all. Then we'll be on our way.' "'Yeah, we haven't eaten in days,' said the man with the pistol. Martin wondered at the statement. The man's physique suggested that his personal reserves hadn't been tapped into all that much. "'You gotta have a little you can spare.' Martin could hear Nick's booming voice through the storm door glass. "'We don't have any food to spare.' "'I told you that ten times. "'Now go away. "'Get lost.' "'Hey, man, we're just trying to be friendly-like,' "'said the wiry man with no gun. "'You're the one that's copping an attitude. "'You really shouldn't be giving people attitude, you know. "'It's better for everyone if you just chill out "'and share a little of what you got. "'That's all we ask.' "'Nick added some profanities to his refusal. "'Oh, hey, now.' Don't go and get all like hostile, Mr. Homie. That's not safe. There's five of us out here and only two of you in there. That was it for Martin. The begging had crossed the line into threats. Count again, shouted Martin. He slid the safety off. The men spun around to face the road. Their eyes darted left and right to find the source of the voice. Martin remained behind the tree so that they couldn't see him. The two women could, however, and pointed at Martin. For his part, Martin had the carbine at low ready, in case one of the women pulled out anything. The two women wisely chose to stand very still, slowly raising their hands. Dustin made sure his shotgun barrel was visible. The goatee men noticed. Adam repositioned himself behind the maple tree. Whether it was a deliberate effort to make his feet more visible from the porch, or simply Adam fidgeting, it was handy timing. "'Oh, hey now!' "'said the man with the rifle. "'We didn't mean anything. "'We were just asking for a little food. "'Yeah, we've been like walking for days. "'We're really hungry is all. "'We didn't mean any harm or anything.' "'The men had moved off the porch, "'cautiously eyeing Martin, Dustin, and Adam's position. "'Emboldened by the turn of events, "'Nick and his son Teddy stepped out onto the porch. "'Nick had his deer rifle. "'Teddy had a small handgun. "'I told you guys to ship out.' And I mean it. We don't have any extra food. Please uh, hold your weapons high, gentlemen, shouted Martin. Where we can all see them and hold them by the barrels, please, gentlemen. Thank you. That's much more friendly. We do want to be friendly-like. Aren't you going to take away their guns? Dustin whispered. Would you give up yours? Martin whispered back. Dustin scowled. I'm not looking for a fight. I just want to get them out of here. The three men and the two women turned their shopping carts around and pushed them up the road. The small wheels weren't suited to the rocks and loose sand of a dirt road. It was obviously a lot of work to get the carts trundled back to where the pavement began. Martin stayed by the yoke to watch them. They continued east on the highway, looking back periodically. Oh, hey, man, I really got to thank you for showing up when you did, said Nick. That was perfect timing. Those guys had me spooked. "'I gotta tell you, it wasn't gonna go well.' "'Well, glad we could help,' said Martin. "'We heard something going on, so we came right over. "'That bunch did sound like trouble. "'Probably just enough of them to outnumber a lot of households. "'Speaking of numbers, they said there were only two of you.' "'Jess and Heather had all the kids downstairs hiding. "'I wasn't about to tell them there were women and children in the house. "'I did not like the look of those guys.' "'Are Jess and them okay?' Martin asked. "'I think so. Scared as all get-out, but not hurt.' Dustin, Adam, and Teddy stayed outside to watch the road and make sure the goatee bunch didn't double back or try anything like a flanking move. Martin went inside with Nick to see how the women and children were. The women were more rattled than the children, who had turned the event into an extreme hide-and-seek. Martin noticed empty meal wrappers all around the fireplace, wrappers of FEMA meals. It looked like the family had eaten the whole box in one sitting. He couldn't recall seeing Nick or Jess in line on Wednesday. So, Nick, uh, how are you guys set for food? Oh, we're we're pretty good, Nick said with a stiff nonchalance. Come on, Nick, really. Nick's brave pose collapsed. Yeah, no, not really. Jess was going to go to the store on Saturday, but the thing hit on Monday, so we're already kind of low. Margaret's been really good about giving us a little now and then. Oh, she has, has she? Oh, nothing big, said Nick. Just a little now and then for the kids, uh, you know. What about you and Jess and Heather? Well, Nick stalled. On the bright side, I've developed a taste for rice cakes. He forced a smile. Just bought, like, a case of those for the diet she kept wanting me to start, but I never did. Guess I started it last week. Now it's pretty much all we've got. That and what's left in the freezer. That's getting pretty sparse, too. So when you were telling those guys you didn't have anything to spare, you weren't just handing them a line. Well, no, we don't have anything to spare. Of course, even if we did, I still didn't like the look of them. I wouldn't have given them any anyhow. Well, I'll talk to Margaret and see if we might have something we can spare. Oh, thanks, man. Nick shook Martin's hand like he had just landed a million-dollar account. And if there's anything we can do to help you guys out, you just let us know, okay? Martin waved as he left, but the mood wasn't light. He wasn't sure what Nick could help out with. He and Margaret were already supplying the Oldhams with water, and apparently some food, too. He resolved to ask Margaret about that. Martin reconvened the house meeting around the dining room table. That is precisely why we need to have watches. It was only because Susan was outside watching and listening that we knew what was going on in time to deal with it. Heads around the table nodded. But this also tells me that we have to ramp things up. Margaret cocked her head. How so? Well, four-hour shifts is a good start. That's far better than six-hour shifts that we were doing. We'll be less fatigued and sharper. But for those who aren't on watch to actually sleep or do other chores, they can't be indoor backup. Each watch has to be able to stand and react quickly on their own. To do that, each watch needs to be armed. The pushback came in a flood. Susan shook her head. Judy protested loudly. Adam and Trish tried to decline on moral grounds. Martin stood up with his hands out to silence the revolt. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. Each watch needs to be armed. This is one of those house rules I mentioned earlier. I've, like, never even touched a gun before, said Trish, almost as if it were a point of pride. Oh, violence isn't the way, said Adam, sounding like he was quoting a protest sign. Well, violence might just come and have its way with you, Martin said. You just saw a hint of that next door. Nick wasn't looking for trouble, but trouble came up his driveway just the same. You might be willing to take a fall for your beliefs, but it's not just you anymore. Whoever's on watch is responsible for the whole household. Understand? It's not about you anymore. But I've never fired a gun before, protested Judy, with reduced zeal. I intend to fix that, said Martin. Everyone meet out behind the wood piles in thirty minutes. Martin had a small table set up beside a woodpile. Two paper targets were tacked to a heavy timber backdrop 20 feet away. On the table were three handguns. Adam, Trish, Susan, and Judy approached the table with caution, as if expecting one of the guns to jump up and start firing on its own. Martin held up a .22 revolver. We're going to start with this one. It's not heavy, doesn't have any real kick, and it's a good introduction piece. I know you're all nervous about guns, but they're just tools. Someone once said that all a gun does is make holes. Guns don't cause insanity. They don't spread disease or invite in demons. They're just tools, like a drill. All a drill does is make holes, too. Guns just make holes farther away. From the fidgeting, it didn't seem that his soft talk had worked very well. Okay, well, before we begin... A few rules for safe gun handling. Safety is a priority. We all want to be safe, right? Martin waited for nods to the obvious question. They nodded, but without enthusiasm. Three simple rules to remember. First, treat every gun as if it were loaded, even if you think it isn't. Second, never point the muzzle at anything you don't intend to hit. Keep the muzzle pointed in a safe direction at all times, up, down, whatever. "'until you're ready to fire. third, keep your finger off the trigger "'until you're ready to fire.' "'Their eyes were wider. "'Perhaps he had used too harsh a words, like fire. "'Keep those three simple rules "'and everyone will be safe, okay?' "'He waited for more nods, "'which were even less enthusiastic. "'He didn't think he was off to a very good start. "'He showed them how to flip out the cylinder "'and see that it was empty.' He called Adam forward, thinking that he might be the least opposed to trying the revolver. Perhaps, Martin reasoned, if Adam shot first, it would encourage the other three. First off, Martin said, let's figure out which eye is your dominant eye. Adam blinked at him blankly. Go like this. Martin made a triangle of his fingers. Hold your hands out and look through the triangle at that tin can on top of the backdrop. All four made the triangle. Okay, now stay focused on the can and slowly bring your hands back to your face. Your triangle will land over your dominant eye. All four smiled at accomplishing that task. They did something, and it wasn't that scary. That's the eye you're going to aim with. He showed them the front and rear sights and how they should line up. He showed Adam how to hold the revolver with both hands, arms extended, and to line up the sights on the black dot on the target. It must have seemed like a variation of yoga or Pilates. All four seemed relaxed. They were just learning how to stand. Putting on the glasses and hearing protection started to make things suddenly serious again. Martin put in a single round and handed the revolver to Adam. Now line up the sights on the dot and pull back gently and steadily on the trigger. Don't jerk it back. This isn't a water pistol that you have to pump. Adam extended his arms, lined up the sights, and took several long minutes before he pulled the trigger. Pop! All four of them jumped. Hey, I did it! Adam exclaimed. I didn't hit the paper, but I shot a gun. Did you see that, Trish? Did you? Trish grudgingly agreed to go next. Seeing that her husband did not go insane or become demon-possessed, she went through all of the same steps, with the exact same result. No hits on the paper. Judy wanted to shoot with her eyes closed. Martin had to explain at some length how a gun was not a firecracker. It won't simply make a loud noise. It'll make a hole someplace. Her job, as a responsible gun owner, was to know exactly where that hole would be. Even if she never planned to hurt a person, but only to frighten them, she was going to make a hole somewhere. She needed to have enough skill to be able to choose where that hole would be. That seemed to help. Judy fired a shot. There were still no hits on the paper. This is like impossible, said Trish. There's no way to control these things. Yeah, Judy chimed in. We're girls, Adam frowned at being included. Martin could see that there was too much fear in them. They were too tense and pulling or anticipating the recoil. He could see that Adam's masculine sense of conquering a challenge had been kindled. But the three women were stuck. He's got the idea of having Margaret shoot a few rounds. Perhaps if another woman handled a gun with confidence, they might too. He sent Judy up to the house. Margaret came down, her barn coat unzipped, over her flower-spattered apron. Martin explained that a little demonstration might help the others. Margaret took her favorite pistol from the table. Wordlessly, she demonstrated to all that it was empty. She put on her hearing protection and glasses. She pushed in a magazine and racked the slide as if snapping a rubber band. She held the gun at low ready until Martin said, "'Go! Pop! Pop! Pop!' She dumped the magazine, racked the slide to empty the chamber, and set the gun down, slide locked open. "'Ha!' said Trish. "'She missed the paper, too. Just proves it's really hard.' Martin knew better. He had Adam fetch the target paper. Adam walked back with wide eyes and showed the paper to Trish, All three holes were within the black dot. "'I want to try her gun,' Trish said. "'It works way better than this one.' Trish's innate competitive spirit was overpowering her cultural indoctrination. "'That was a good sign.' Margaret rolled her eyes. She put two rounds into the little revolver. She sighted on the tin can. Pop! The can flew backwards, landing between the legs of the backdrop. Pop! It spun away into the leaves. I have to get back to my flatbread, she told Martin. She emptied the casings from the cylinder and handed Trish the empty revolver. She walked back up for her flatbread. Okay, said Martin, I think we got two good lessons here. One is that it's the person, not the gun. And two, girls can shoot. After that, Trish's aim improved enough to get hits on the edges of the paper. She was still flinching in anticipation of the recoil. Judy still wanted to close her eyes, but compromised to keep one eye open. It was a start. She got excited, too, when she made her first hole in the paper. Martin smiled at their progress. He was glad he stocked up on 22 rounds a couple of years ago, before the supply dried up. The group was going to need a lot more practice. Susan continued to hang back, practicing her chameleon skills. It didn't work. Martin saw her anyway. Dustin took Adam to show him around for a watch and to see if their practice shooting had attracted any attention. Judy had kitchen duty, so left to go help Margaret. Trish stayed to encourage Susan. There was no one left to go ahead of her. It was her turn. I said I would get used to seeing them, she protested. Not shooting them. It won't be that bad, Martin assured. I didn't want to say it the other day, but country people also know how to shoot. You saw Trish and Judy. They did great. Trish beamed. She had hit the paper. Martin showed Susan how to hold the revolver. But it was worse than a teen boy trying to hold a newborn. People can become very rubbery when asked to hold something they don't want to hold. No, 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 he corrected. You can't have your fingers up there like that. There's a little gap between the cylinder and the barrel little sparks can leak out oh no don't drop it it's not that bad might just sting a little is all but if your fingers are out of the way it won't matter here like this martin tried to shape susan's free hand around her trigger hand you wrap your fingers of this hand around he stopped suddenly both of them realized at the same moment that he had her hands in his they were warm his cheek was near enough to hers to feel the warmth Their startled eyes locked. A long moment passed. "'What will we do?' her whisper sounded slightly afraid. It didn't sound like she was talking about the revolver. "'I don't know,' he whispered back. He felt a shiver between his shoulders. "'Are you two dancing or what?' complained Trish. "'I want to see if she can hit the paper or not.' Yes, what will they do? Proximity certainly isn't helping. Speaking of helping, I do appreciate all of you listeners who have bought me a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com slash mcrowland. I do appreciate the support.